Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello and welcome to episode 237 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Dr. Eric Naumberg, the co-chair of Maryland Chapter for Physicians for a National Health Program. Eric is also on the Leadership Council of Healthcare as a Human Right Maryland and is formally on Healthcare Now as a Maryland Legislative Coordinator. Eric is a pediatrician and formerly was a professor of medicine at the University of Maryland Medical System. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Good. Very good. Thanks for having me on. Great. So the first question I'd like to pose to you, what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? Well, <laughs> um, well, currently, I guess maybe it's better just to talk in specifics, but currently I'm, I'm part of a campaign called Healthcare is a Human Right Maryland, mm-hmm. and we do community organizing. Mm-hmm. Um, we currently have seven chapters statewide in Maryland, mm-hmm. um, and we are working for a Medicare for All single-payer, universal health care system nationally. So for our listeners who don't know, could you define what single-payer is? Yeah, single-payer is, um, it would be a government-run health insurance system. So there would be no more private health insurers. The government would be the single-payer. Mm-hmm. Now, some listeners may be thinking, wait a minute, I'm on Medicare. Isn't that government-run health insurance? Uh, to a large degree, it is, yes. Um, so there what would be the a, difference? The difference is that this would be universal. You would be covered from the day you're, you're conceived mm-hmm. until the day you die. So pre-cradle to grave. Pre-cradle to grave, yeah. And what do we have now in America? Well, the, the Medicare program is for people who are 65 and older or are disabled. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people hang in the balance without insurance waiting to get it when they turn 65. Mm-hmm. What about Medicaid? Is that a publicly funded health insurance program? Yes, it is. It's publicly funded. Um, it, it is, uh, it's an insurance program for people who are poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it used to be primarily for uh, children and their, their caretakers. Now, it, with the Affordable Care Act, it became so that it, everybody could qualify for it. So let's, but, but, but I have to say that there are private parts to both private insurers in both the Medicaid and the Medicare system. Mm-hmm. In Medicare, it's called Medicare Advantage, and mm-hmm. some people may be familiar with that. In mm-hmm. Medicaid, you probably wouldn't know it unless you're in the system. A managed care organization. Right, exactly. So the name of your new organization here is Healthcare is a Human Right. Why do you believe healthcare is a human right? And what's the alternative? Does anyone not think healthcare is a human right? Uh, to answer the second question, surprisingly, yes, we hear that quite often. I think the fra- for some people, the phrase human right connotes uh, things that are different than the way I think about it. I think in a wealthy country like this, where mm-hmm. where we can afford medical care for everybody, that mm-hmm. we should provide it. We are the only wealthy country in the world that does not guarantee universal health care for all its citizens. Does not guarantee uh, that all medical, all necessary medical care is covered in some form. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, we ration care based on ability to pay. 
in a lot of instances. And this leads to a not very good system. We rank uh, 51st in infant mortality rate, a recent study looking at access and quality, comparing uh -huh. us to 200 nations. Uh, we came in uh, 35th, that's from World Health Organization data mostly. Um, so healthcare is a human right, and you're a physician. So right now it sounds like what you're advocating for is single-payer healthcare, which is a fairly complicated policy solution to healthcare, and really what it is is health insurance reform. Is that correct? That's correct. It, it would simplify the system tremendously mm -hmm. uh, because when you have one payer... Um, What's a payer? The payer would be the insurer. Mm -hmm. uh, right now we have what we, people would call a multi-payer system. We have all of these insurance companies mm -hmm. and multiple plans. Um, you have uh, then various uh, public, uh, besides the private insurance, you have various public plans, you've mentioned some, Medicare, Medicaid, uh -huh. the VA, um, so on. So in a multi-payer system, what happens is that um, the people who actually provide the care, the doctors and the hospitals, to deal with these uh, multiple payers, they have these enormous billing um, systems. Uh, some hospitals have more people working uh, in the billing part of the of the uh, hospital than they have beds. Uh -huh. um, it's a huge waste of money. It, it, it basically, all of these private insurers are really middlemen, and they don't add very much to the system. In fact, a lot of times they're, they're a roadblock to people getting care. Uh -huh. So let's talk about the implications for physicians, since you are one. Mm -hmm. So let's say we go to universal health insurance coverage with a single-payer government-run system. What are the implications for physicians like yourself. Obviously, you can see single-payer in countries like Canada, countries like France, countries like the United Kingdom. Are those physicians paid less? Is there less of an incentive to become a physician? Is there a greater shortage of physicians because there's less of an, uh, it's less of an attractive profession? What are the implications of transitioning to a single-payer single universal coverage healthcare delivery system? Well, um, one th one thing is that doctors are now spending between twenty and twenty five percent of their time mm -hmm. dealing with the administrative uh, effects of these multiplayer systems. So they're finding out if the drug they prescribe will be covered, or who they can um, refer a patient to if they're in the in the network of the person, the patient they're seeing, whether they're covered or not. Uh, they're documenting what they're doing mm -hmm. for the insurers. Mm -hmm. So they're spending a lot of time, a lot of wasted time, not ta not talking to patients, but, but uh, dealing with insurers and administrators. So I'm hearing that some of the greatest motivations for you to have single payer, I'm hearing simplify and I'm hearing waste. It sounds like you're kind of a proponent for a greater efficiencies in the healthcare delivery system. Are you the efficiency man? Are you trying to get rid of waste? Yeah. There's a tremendous amount of waste in the system. The biggest amount of waste is is the uh, administrative costs that go with a multi-payer system. Mm -hmm. So not only do the hospitals have these large billing operations, but every every practice has um, several people who are working on nothing but billing. It's estimated that it costs about eighty-five thousand dollars per provider for for the administrative costs. 
So it sounds like such an attractive solution, right? Let's simplify things. Let's take something we already have, like Medicare, just say, oh, Medicare for all. You know, it sounds like a pretty easy one-page piece of legislation with the U.S. Congress. Wham, bam, going to make it more efficient, improve our infant mortality. So many attractive things, nothing negative about it. Why is that not the case in the United States? Why is it so difficult to get single payer? And why hasn't it happened already? Well, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds of politics, but um, it, it, it's Medicare for all polls is a very popular. It's very popular. It polls nationally about sixty percent favorable consistently, and it has for a long time, um, over fifteen years. Um, it, it depends on how the question is asked. If sometimes it's in the mid fifties, sometimes it's in. The, in the mid-60s, sometimes it, it, if you mention how it's paid for, people get scared by the, with the word taxes, but um, it's still, it's very popular and it's even more popular with Democrats. Um, but you have this huge lobbying mechanism in the health, uh -huh. health insurance industry. The health insurers, pharmaceutical companies, the hospitals, they're all uh, spending major amounts of money in right. Washington. It's one of the biggest lobbies in, in Washington. So lobbying, so you think that because politicians are not close enough and closely enough in touch with the needs and wants of their constituency uh, and they rely too much on lobbyists, therefore they oppose uh, a common sense solution, it sounds, according to you, of single-payer health care? I, I think that they think a lot about they think about their constituents, but they also think a lot about getting reelected. Mm -hmm. And getting reelected has become more and more expensive. And so they're reliant more and more, even if they're well intentioned, they're reliant more and more on lobbyist money. Mm -hmm. So they're getting pulled in two directions. And uh, sometimes the constituents are uh, left behind. That said, it, why aren't constituents advocating for this? You have a grassroots network here. It was Healthcare Now. It's now the Leadership Council for Healthcare as a Human Right Maryland. You're involved with Physicians for a National Health Program. A lot of these grassroots organizations that you've been involved with are really about educating the electorate and trying to get them engaged on this issue so that they will advocate and make their voices heard to their elected officials. What has been the result of some of your work on these grassroots campaigns? Well, there is a bill in the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. It's called Expanded and Improved Medicare for All. Um, the number you'll hear attached to it is HR 676, but it's 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 been put in into uh, it's been introduced every year for about 14 years. The prime sponsor is John Conyers. He's a congressman from Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, it, it currently this year has 115 co-sponsors. Um, so far, they're all Democrats, although we don't view this as a partisan issue. Uh -huh. We view this as a, we're a nonpartisan group and we think that both, uh, that it's good for everybody and that there are lots of advantages for, for People, for business people, for example. There are, Have you been able to mobilize uh, grassroots, just regular voters, members of the community to care about this issue? Well, I think you're beginning to see more of it. Um, certainly this last period that we've been through when the uh, Republicans um, worked to replace and repeal the Affordable Care Act, 
what people also refer to as Obamacare, many people who, who didn't even realize that they were being uh, helped by the Affordable Care Act suddenly realized that they were. And uh, so that's why you saw people turning out at town halls uh, with their legislators, and they, sometimes they turned into rather raucous town halls. Um, there were several here in Maryland. Yeah, can you speak a little bit, can you provide our listeners with an anecdote about your experience in the, these grassroots movements in Maryland? Um, well, um, I didn't go to any of the actual, uh, uh, just because I was scheduling, I didn't make it to any of the, uh, the town halls that were called by um, legislators, but many people in our group did. And what they found was uh, that anytime Medicare for All was brought up mm-hmm. in these in these environments, even uh, even on the you know in places that you would think would be very conservative, mm-hmm. that there was it, it was resoundingly popular. Mm-hmm. People would you know yell and scream and you know talk about it. Um, so let's transition to your personal story. Now, you were trained as a pediatrician from medical school, and ostensibly you went to medical school to become a physician in order to treat patients, in this case, uh, child patients. Um, to wh- how is it that you were able, to, you know, and now you're an advocate for healthcare policy, you know, on a population level, quite different from seeing and treating actual individual patients. Could you speak about your path from treating individual patients uh, within a, a medical context to becoming passionate about uh, advocating for single-payer health care? Um, well, that's, uh, that's a long question, but uh, it, it's a complicated question, but um, it has a lot to do with the private. Some of it has to do with the privatization of the public programs. Mm-hmm. Um, medic. I was working um, at Mercy Hospital. I was there for ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had an outpatient. Uh, we had a, a practice um, that was mostly center city people, which means that it was a. Uh, Predominantly or majority Medicaid population. So you're talking about Baltimore City treating a more poor, low-income population. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, people who have less resources um, are more, much more complicated to treat because they they have less resources. Mm-hmm. And even things like. Uh, Arranging transportation or childcare can be, and 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 not losing your job can be daunting. But these individuals that you just mentioned were covered by health insurance through the state and federal partnership program Medicaid, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, so how would single payer help these individuals? Oh well, it would help them immensely. Um, uh, it's, it's important for people on Medicaid to know that because a lot of people are happy with Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Um, the single-payer system would be more comprehensive than Medicaid, although Medicaid has a, a pretty good um, it has a pretty good amount of coverage. But it would be more comprehensive, more significant coverage in Maryland because it var- the, the the benefits that are covered by Medicaid vary by state, correct? Th- they vary. Yes, they have some variation, but there are certain basic things that they have to cover. Mm-hmm. 
so it's not as it's not as wide, you know. It's not a big a swing as some of the like some of the even the metal plans in uh, the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. you know, the bronze plan versus the, the least expensive versus the most expensive. There's a huge amount of difference in, in what's covered mm-hmm. and what's what the cost is. The the problem with with Medicaid is um, the reimbursements are lower than Medicare. Uh-huh. Medicare being the program for the elderly, uh-huh. and generally lower, way lower than what the private insurers will pay as well. Um, so, but therefore, the there are fewer providers who take it, and it, it's it's difficult. It can be difficult to find a provider, especially for even special, you know, especially specialized things like mental health care, uh-huh. but specialty care um, of, of any kind. Um, there aren't a lot of doctors who who will accept that. Can you remember a particular moment when you were at Mercy treating this low-income population where you really felt, gosh, if only we had single-payer? Oh, many times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it, I, um, one that, that uh, rests in my mind was not somebody who was on Medicaid. They were on uh, private insurance, and it was a two-month-old child who had a significant respiratory system symptoms, had significant respiratory symptoms that were unusual mm-hmm. and um, I, instead of being able to refer the, them to the uh, you know there are two very good uh, places to refer children in in, in uh, Baltimore there's the University of Maryland and also Hopkins have, like a pediatric pulmonologist have, pedi- have pediatric pulmonologists they have pediatric cardiologists mm-hmm. you know, Heart, lung, other things. They wanted me to not. They didn't have. They did not have. Uh, this insurance company did not have arrangements with either of either Johns Hopkins or Maryland. So they wanted me. First of all, they wanted me to send this child to a adult specialist. Hmm. They wanted me to send him to an adult pulmonologist and an adult car- cardiologist, which was totally inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Because they wouldn't, you know, it's just not what they're, they don't care for kids. And right. kids are very different than adults, especially. And by the way, when you say care, it's not that they don't care about them as human beings. It's they, that they're not the patient population that they treat on a daily professional basis. Right. They're trained to treat adults, mm-hmm. you know, 18 years and older. Mm-hmm. And a two-month-old is, is way, out, you know, way out of their uh, comfort zone. Right. So at that point, you figured universal. What if you were able to snap your fingers and single payer had been the law of the land at that point? Would you have had open referral patterns? Is that a big difference there? That's a huge difference. Most people, most people, you know, the politicians all scream, "You want your choice of health insurance?" Well, no. People want their choice of doctor. Mm-hmm. They want their choice of hospital. And in a single payer plan, you can go to any hospital or any physician because. All basic medical care, all necessary care, is covered by the system, and private insurers cannot compete to cover that kind of necessary care. That said, there are private health insurance companies in countries with single-payer health care, correct? Yes. So they are able to compete to some extent. Well, they're limited in what it 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 gets very complicated. But, right. Um, in some cases, uh, they're. Uh, like France, their supplemental uh, payment. The, the main takeaway you were trying to say, though, is that people want a choice of physician, not health plans. And in a single-payer environment, you would still have a choice of physicians. Uh, you, 
you would have a much better choice of physicians than you do right now. So at this point, suppose there are a bunch of listeners to Public Interest Podcast, to this episode in particular, listening right now. What would you say to them? What would you say, let's say some of them even had relationships, maybe some of them are politicians. What would you say to them about single-payer health care coverage? What, what should they do? What should they want? What are you trying to create? What do you want from this listening audience? No, we want them to do the things that, that you normally do to get things passed in this country. You know, talk, phone your congressman. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if it's in the House, you can ask them uh, to support the Expanded and Improved Medicare, Medicare for All Act, H.R. 676. Um, there's no comparable bill right now in the Senate. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders is supposed to be coming out with one. You can, uh, you know, you can send cards. You can uh, go to go to events. Um, and only on the federal level. You mentioned congressmen. What about your state legislators, your governor? Yeah, um, we think this is the right moment to be working on national. There's national attention. Mm-hmm. Um, the national system works some single payer on a national level would work so much better than on a state level right a state level you really don't you can't really do a strict single payer system so you lose a lot of the savings that you would have in a national single payer system and you think that there's a better chance for passing it now than there's been in recent years I think I think at least it's be beginning to be talked about by people who are important mm-hmm. um, Charles Chuck Schumer, who's the Senate Minority Leader, mentioned it as a as one thing that might be that would be on the table. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, several senators now outspokenly saying that they, like Elizabeth Warren, mm-hmm. uh, saying that they they support single payer and they think people should run on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think it's so popular that it would that if you ran on it, I mean, in a country like Canada, you. Everybody, all the politicians support single payer because it's so, so popular. Mm-hmm. Um, you Same can, thing you, with the National Health Service in Great Britain. Yeah, I mean, conservative politicians—that's bedrock for them. They they support single payer because if they didn't, they'd be in trouble. So, uh, but there are also advantages for people with that point of view as well. I mean, business especially mm-hmm. will, would profit by this. Uh, so, Eric, as we approach the end of this podcast episode, I'd like to ask you a final two-part question. I'd like to ask you to speak to uh, some of your patients from the past. Maybe some of your patients have grown up and they're uh, adults now. Speak to them about um, why it is you've spent time and expended effort in your life to advocate for a uh, single payer to try to advance the public interest through that ad- those advocacy efforts and, and, then, and then why you've sought to advance the public interest by treating patients, just what your general motivation is here, and then what you hope the legacy of your work see, uh, in advancing the public interest will be. Yeah, well, you know, we, we, ration, we ration healthcare by the cruelest method, which is uh, by ability to pay. Uh, healthcare is now treated like a commodity, it might, might as well be a barrel of oil in some people's minds because everything in the medical system has become more and more, most of the decisions now are more and more being made by how much is this going to cost the insurance company, um, and, which does a huge disservice to, to patients. It also does a huge disservice to doctors. It gets right in the middle of that relationship, which I consider to be, you know, just should be a, 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 the strongest bond. Uh-huh. 
because I mean that's why I got into medical where I got into medicine was that kind of bond between doctor and patient I mean that's that's the most satisfying part of medicine emotionally um, and once you have that trust you know you 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 can accomplish quite a lot and patients feel much better you know um, the current system uh, you can have a doctor that you like uh, been with for years and suddenly your insurance changes and that doctor is no longer in network and uh, you have to decide where to go next um, you know and that's frustrating for both the doctor and the patient so the so that has been uh, Dr. Nelmberg, Dr. Eric Nelmberg, who is the co-chair of the Maryland chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program, and uh, formerly the legislative coordinator for healthcare. Now on the leadership council of Healthcare as a Human Right Maryland, a pediatrician, former professor, whose basic tenet of advocacy is that healthcare is a human right. He argues that people want their choice of provider, but aren't so interested necessarily in their choice of health plan. He argues that single-payer health insurance coverage and universal health insurance coverage is the answer for a more efficient, more affordable, and uh, more responsible means of ensuring that health care is a human right afforded to all human beings in the United States of America. And that's why he's seeking uh, support for universal health care uh, single-payer option uh, program at the federal level. For uh, Eric, uh, our current uh, health care delivery system uh, relies on what he refers to as the cruelest method of determining who gets what, which is ration based, uh, r rationing care based upon an ability to pay. And he says that that severely uh, negatively impacts a sacred uh, physician-patient bond uh, and impairs trust uh, as various uh, payer uh, plans may change. You may find that you're no longer able to see the physician that you choose. Uh, ultimately, uh, Eric is seeking to advance the public interest in order to, uh, or an homage to this sacred uh, bond and this trust that exists between the, the physician and its patients. Uh, and essentially as a final conclusion that if you can afford to provide care in the United States, then you should provide care to everyone. And with that, Eric, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This was, uh, this was great. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com and on iTunes. Leave a review of this podcast on iTunes and listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Should you wish to comment on this episode, you're welcome to leave a voicemail at 240-630-0380. And the first three minutes of that voicemail may be played in future episodes of Public Interest Podcast. Should you wish to support the podcast, you're welcome to leave a contribution in an amount that you feel comfortable with at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.